0: Hello, waterfowlers, and welcome to Historic Waterfowling Story Podcast. I'm coming to you from the 12th floor of my condo unit, sitting smack dab, to use an old southern term, on the banks of the Mississippi River, on the 4th Sickleshaw Bluff in downtown Memphis, and in the middle of the Mississippi Flyway. This will be my fifth podcast, and it'll be entitled California in the so soon and the Sussoon March. In this, my fifth podcast of Historic Waterfowling Stories, and in each episode, I hope to instill in you the beauty of our sports as seen through the eyes of the old timers. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, this is not an interview. This is a strictly a storytelling podcast of the old times of duck hunting. So somewhere in the great hunting grounds, they get together often to talk over old times. And if we will listen, their stories will never be forgotten as we learn what those days were like to the old timers. So how about some sweet music, so how about it? So in this fifth episode we'll be covering California and the Sussoon March. And basically within the Sussoon March is four clubs we'll be covering. Abbott's Gun Club, Till Shooting Club, Cordelia Shooting Club, and Tule Bell Shooting Club. So here we go. In 1825, British Captain Frederick William Beachy was appointed to command the sloop H.M.S. Blossom, which was intended to find the Northwest Passage. On November the 6th, 1826, he entered San Francisco Bay and dropped anchor, where he recorded that the wetlands were alive with geese, ducks, shorebirds, and wading birds. Eleven years later, another English vessel entered the San Francisco Bay, where the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers entered the Suisun Bay, the no, no, northeastern extension of the San Francisco Bay. So the Suisun Bay was just the northeastern extension of the San Francisco Bay. His party sailed across San Pablo Bay through Carzinas Strait into Suisun Bay. It was recorded while anchored that the sailors encou- encountered a variety of large ducks and a smaller teal while snipe and assorted shorebirds were lumped together as curlews. The geese liked to spend the day in the meadows, returning at twilight in such immense cackling flocks as to darken the sky to their roosts in the marshes. He remarked October 26, 1837, about Karzines Strait. Ducks and geese were noticed in great numbers. Wildlife was abundant all along the Sacramento River upstream beyond Sussoon Bay. Abounding in the wetlands were very beautiful ducks, as he said, owls, hawks and other birds. On one occasion, Dr. Sinclair with the crew killed 48 geese and 8 ducks. Before the Gold Rush started in 1848, California was just described by Andy Burnett. He reached California in the autumn of 1832. He had never seen so many waterfowl, had never imagined there could be so many anywhere. They covered the surface of the small lakes so thickly that he could discern but a gleam of water here and there. On a sudden impulse, he extended the long rifle and fired it into the air. A blank instance of silence followed, broken a half second later by the sound of a mighty waterfall as the birds took wing. It seemed as if the dark earth was lifting to expose the hidden silver of the lake. The air was full of hurtling ducks. The very sky was darkened, and another great roar, and a third, like successive rolls of thunder, rolled across his astonishment, and then a smooth high silence made up the thin whistling of thousands upon thousands of wind. One year later, George C. Younts Chronicles said that Burnett recorded in 1833, Benicia was visited and has been thus described. This is Yount's Chronicles. He's quoting in it. So we're going to continue to quote. It was nothing more than a wide and extending lawn, exuberant in wild oats. Now he's talking about Bernicia, which is on the very southern end of uh, Sussoon Bay. And above Sussoon Bay is Sussoon March, which we're covering in this. So continuing on, He's saying that uh, there's an exuberance in wild oats from San Pablo Bay. San Pablo Bay is just to the west of Susun March in the northern part of the San Francisco Bay. So from San, San Pablo Bay San Pablo Bay to Sutter's Fork, the wild geese and every species of waterfowl darken the surface of every bay and inlet. He's quoting there. And I'll continue the quote. Upon the land in flocks of a millions, they wandered in quest of insects and chopping the wild oaks which grew there in richest abundance. When disturbed, they arose to fly. The sound of their wings was like that of distant thunder. It was literally a land of plenty and such a climate as no other land can boast of. In 1842, John Bidwell stated that the Sacramento, Napa, and Sonoma, those are all counties, Tule Marshes were the haunts of incalculable thousands of wild geese, ducks, brants, sandhill cranes, pelicans, etc., etc. In 1846, at Yerba Buena, which was the original name of a settlement that eventually became San Francisco, so at Yerba Buena, William Heath Davis reported in A Sportsman's Paradise, a book, Quoting, I also devoted much time to shooting ducks. They were plentiful and fat and of many varieties, mallards, canvasback, widgeon, and teal. My favorite spot for shooting was the top of a hill overlooking the village of River The ducks would appear in flocks, darkening the air, and so great was their number that it required no skill to kill them on the wing. There were few fowlers then, and what few there were were market hunters shooting on the old marshes, sloughs, rivers, and white wild oat fields of California with their muzzle loaders. The waters of the bay and the sloughs of the marshlands reflected the glimmering wings of millions of ducks, geese, and shorebirds, and with very little trouble or expense, one could go a fill or a stream, and within a radius of fifty miles of San Francisco and in a few hours returned with a market load of waterfowl. This was all brought about by the California Gold Rush, which started in 1848 and was off and running the following year. Between 1848 and 1850, California became a U.S. territory underwent explosive growth with the Gold Rush and was granted statehood. Hundreds of thousands of people poured into the San Francisco region, which led to dramatic social and demographic changes with large-scale immigration from the East and abroad with an accompanying economic boom. Such was the case for James White, a 21-year-old farmer from Quincy, Massachusetts, who, in 1849, sailed from Boston around Cape Horn to San Francisco and its nearby gold diggings. That November, he went out to a pond there nearby and saw a great number of ducks, geese, and swans and remarked that it was a great place for gunning. With the increased population, the population had to be fed, and there were no better means than to be fed on game, especially waterfowl, which was in abundance. With, so as the cities increased in population, the market hunters became more numerous and game was easily found in the markets in the early 1850s, such as bear, venison, rabbits, squirrels, quail, pigeons, snipe, curlews, and povers, plovers, as well as geese and ducks, quoting, of every variety in the greatest profusion were canvasbacks, widgeons, pintails, mallards, and teal. During this time in the 1850s, the Sussoon Marshes, swamps, and overflowed lands in Sonoma County which is where the Sussoon March was located, were mostly tidal and consisted of islands connected by a network of tidal sloughs. Much of the marshlands were flooded daily and seasonally by high tides and high stream flows during the later winter and springs. With with sloughs, ponds, and marshlands were the home of the market shooter for the markets in San Francisco and to some extent Sacramento. In later years they became attractive to sportsmen who would pay a market hunter to act as a guide, and still later these sportsmen organized duck clubs. The Sussoon Marsh was known to the market shooters as the most famous duck and snipe shooting territory in the state. As early as 1853, Dr. A. L. Heerman referred to the great flocks of geese in the Sussoon March, where as far as the eye could reach the sky was filled with flock after flock. That's him quoting. In 1864, the game law allowed hunters to load up after September the 15th. In other words, season opening. Ducks had begun to be seen and the Tules and snipe were spied around the sloughs of Solano County. As the season progressed, wild geese made their appearance. The Tules had become a busy place with hunters bagging game from morning to night. In the early 1860s through the 1870s, one had to go no further for excellent duck shooting than from a blind on the shore of the lower San Francisco Bay. One writer remarked, in the early 60s the whole region was still full of game, but the pot hunters had nearly deserted it and had gone to the Solano, San Joaquin, and Sacramento regions where the wildfowl were so abundant that the farmers poisoned hundreds of thousands of them. In addition, in truth, the whole Susan march was at one time held by market hunters. Among the earliest ones were Frank Horan, Bill Hayward, George Smith, Bill Richards, Jim Judd, Bill Montgomery, Walter Welch, Seth Beckwich, and Jim Payne, the latter two by far a few of the earliest and most successful. Going east of San Francisco, one could kill all the ducks and geese wanted at the Napa and Sonoma marshes on the north part of San Pablo Pablo Bay. And San Pablo Bay was an eastern extension of the San Francisco Bay, and as I mentioned, Susun Bay was just east of San Pablo. At the Napa and Sonoma Marshes, flock after flock, containing thousands of ducks and gaggles of a geese by the hundreds, were to be seen on all sides, winging their ways to the main fields in the vicinity. From the mudflats and marshlands bordering the bay shore came the quack of ducks, the honk of geese and cranes, the call of the willet and curlew, the whistle of plover, snipe, and shorebirds, and the cackle of rails by the thousands upon thousands, while in the grain fields could be seen the flash and heard the report of every kind of shooting gun. A typical market hunter's equipment consisted of a small sloop for the use in sleeping and cooking meals and for transportation to and from the bays and rivers. A Thule Splitter and a 14-foot boat for use on the ditches, rivers and bays for hunting ducks and geese. One 12-gauge for shooting cripples, one 10-gauge for the actual shooting, and one 4-gauge shotgun being reserved for a big shot at a large flock of ducks or geese. Before the clubs came into existence, from a Thule Splitter, An average of 200 ducks were routined by the market hunters. Some big shots were made with a 4-gauge, such as 89 with one barrel, and 120 with a discharge of both barrels. One method for using the gun was to position it over a baited pond using sandbags camouflaging oneself away from the gun and firing the gun using a lanyard when the ducks were in position. In the late 1870s, a good Thule splitter cost from $8 to $12, and a round-bottom cedar skull boat with iron centerboard could be purchased for $5 per foot. A 25-pound keg of Hazard's FFG black powder ran from $10 to twelve fifty. dollars from shot from eighty-five to $2 per 25-pound sack, and the cost of wads and primers were in proportion. In the ponds and sloughs, the shooting was done from the Thule splitter, while hunting on the bays, flock shooting was done from a skull boat. Market hunters put their waterfowl in sacks and shipped it to the San Francisco market via river, steamer, or by their own private sloop or yacht. At the market, waterfowl were sorted and the various species placed in piles and then hung in pairs and bunches on hooks of the game stalls. Early each morning, great numbers of peddlers, retail game dealers, restaurants, bars, and hotel keepers gathered and bought the waterfowl. As more and more took to market hunting and the areas nearest San Francisco began to experience a reduction in the number of ducks killed, market hunters ventured out into Susun Marsh and the Delta, and the Delta is where the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers emptied into it, and the delta was just east of the Sussoon March. Ancestrally, the delta was one of the most significant waterfowl concentration areas in California. And finally, market hunting spread north into the Sacramento River area and south into San Joaquin River area also. In these early days, Stockton on the San Joaquin River shipped more ducks to San Francisco than any other place. It was, it was an unexplored gunner's paradise, that long ribbon, ribbon of territory extending from the Sussoon Bay South to Kern River in the South. Carl Halleck remarked in his Sportsman Gazetteer and General Guide, which he wrote in 1877, he wrote, The favorite grounds of sportsmen are the great valleys of the San Joaquin and the Sacramento. The state can produce no better ducking grounds than the San Joaquin Valley, and geese are nowhere more abundant. Snipes and the smaller aquatic fowls are also plentiful, he said. Quoting, he continued, the Sacramento, almost equally accessible, is unsurpassed. There are plenty of ducks about Sussoon Bay, Solano County, but most of them are on the inshore lakes and difficult to get at. According to the old-timers, the Sussoon March had no equal, certainly no superior, as the haunt of waterfowl in, the other, in any other portion of the United States. North of Sussoon Bay, stretching inland for many miles, was a low flat country of salty marsh threaded by tortuous, winding sloughs in which the tide water fell and rose and overflowed into numerous ponds, which were fresh in the winter time. The Sussoon March, a most famous duck hunting ground and the winter home of countless thousands of wildfowl were later dotted here and there with the clubhouses of many gun clubs with the first beginning in 1879. In the 1860s and 1870s, the masses of ducks and geese which collected every fall in the Sussoon March and the nearby Tule Islands of Montezuma, Sherman, Bolden, Brannon, Union, and dozens more, along with the Delta of the Sacramento and San Joaquin Rivers, presented sights of waterfowl never forgotten by those who lived during that time. All were within one to two and a half hours travel from San Francisco. Take this for an example. The winter of 1873 was an extremely wet one for Solano County, which is where the Susoon March is, as I mentioned. By February, the amount of rain that had fallen since the 1st of January was 10.4 inches. This was good weather for hunters. The newspaper Sausalito Herald reported that Jim Washington, a hunter-market hunter from Sussoon, had bagged 66 ducks in two days. The Sussoon March, located in Solano County, was situated between the Sacramento- San Joaquin Delta and San Pablo Bay in the San Francisco Bay Estuary, and extended from a point southerly a couple of miles above the town of Benicia in Carzinas Strait, thence in a northern and eastern direction to the Montezuma Hills, for a distance of over twenty miles, and in varying in width from two and a half to five miles. Historic maps show that the western march featured numerous ponded water bodies scattered across the marsh plains among channels a feature common to tidal marches around San Francisco and San Pablo Bay and Susun Marsh bays. These ponds primarily appeared west of Susun Slough between Wells and Cordelia Sloughs. Because of the railroad when it came in, water filing activity was greatest on the west side of the Susun Marsh. However, other factors also accounted for less hunting on the east side of the marsh less ponds, therefore less waterfowl, and club formation on that site took longer to materialize. The west side was closer to the urban centers of the Bay Area, therefore more market and sports hunting on the west side. The Susun marshes were mostly tidal and consisted of islands connected by a network of tidal sloughs. Much of the marshlands were flooded daily and seasonally by high tides and high streams flows during the later winter and spring. These sloughs, ponds, and marshlands were the home of the market shooter for the game market in San Francisco. And in later years, it became attractive to ducks and snipe shooting territory in the state. In the early years, two of the first well-known and most successful market hunters on the Sussoon March were Jim Payne, who started market hunting in 1852, and his partner, Seth Beckwith, who started market hunting in 1861. Just after the Civil War ended, they were shipping by the swift little steamer Paul Pry from their headquarters on the Sussoon Slough to their commission men in San Francisco from 8 to 10 sacks, which averaged 5 to 6 dozen ducks to a sack every 2 or 3 days, many being the famous canvasback duck. It was in 1861 that Payne and Beckwith saw their first breech loader, a new 12-gauge William and Powell, which was brought to the Susoon March by sportsmen who visited two market hunters every year for some 20 years beginning in 1861, hunting on what was known locally as the Chamberlain Track. It, considered, it was considered the best track for duck hunting in the country, and rightly so. It was the first gun of its kind at an eminent firm of gunmakers in London, had sent to the Pacific coast. Payne and Beckwith, however, shot Wesley Richards' 13-bore loaders. During a week of hunting in October 1866, a sportsman who I just mentioned with, that hunted with Payne and Beckwith for 20 years, Remarked that on the first day of hunting, Beckwith Payne and he sculled very swiftly through the sloughs with a long, flexible sculling oar underneath the stern, moving back and forth, absolutely norless, noseless, north noseless through the water. While their oars advanced, took them to different ponds and separate boats. Once at the ponds where they could shoot, they got into a smaller, flat-bottomed tule splitter and headed to two different ponds where, at each, they set out some 40 decoys in each pond. Ducks were everywhere, and at times they came so quickly that Payne and sportsmen were shooting so fast that they could scarcely hold their muzzleloader in their hands, the barrels becoming so hot, killing 90 of different varieties in a few hours. For the, first, for the next three days, the weather got hotter and hotter, and hunting fell off. On the fourth day, a cold front moved through during the afternoon as they rested on the sloop waiting for the afternoon shoot to start. Dark clouds and gusty winds arrived and soon overhead were thousands of ducks having left the rough waters of the large bays and coming into the ponds for shelter and food. Beckwith and Payne said they would wait for the morning to shoot and they hoped for the gale force winds would keep up, which it did from the west all night long. The sportsmen would shoot with Beckwith at the Judd stand, one of the shooting stands on what was called the String of Ponds, while Payne would shoot at a pond near the sloop at Smith's stand, one of the Beth Ponds of what was known as the Payne Ponds. The next morning, Beckwith and the sportsmen polled and pushed for an hour and a half to reach Judd's stand, and as they did so in the darkness, they were stirring up thousands of ducks, but they did not fire a shot. As Beckwith pulled along, he told the sportsman that he would have to do it all as he was not going to shoot, for he wanted to see how many ducks the sportsman could kill, that he would load and hand his muzzleloader to the sportsman, when the sportsman's two muzzle loaders got too hot to handle comfortably. When they arrived at the pond, the roar of wings and the rising of innumerable ducks and geese, even astonished Beckwith. They could hardly set out the decoys for ducks pouring into the pond. Shooting incessantly, the sportsmen managed to shoot 38 straight. At 2 p.m. they picked up 190 ducks of all varieties and five great geese. The latter he did not care to shoot and he was a sportsman. So the sportsman did not care to shoot but shot accidentally the geese while shooting at ducks. They left quite a number of crippled and wounded birds which they could not find in the tulies surrounding the pond. Payne at the Smith stand, meanwhile, had killed 140 for a grand total of 335. Incredible. It took until 11 p.m. that night to clean and hang up in pairs for shipment in the morning to San Francisco for the market. Through the epicurean, Canvas backs from the Sussoon March were preferred over those from other areas of California, as noted by the above sportsmen. The just-referred-to sportsman remarked in 1882, I could easily fill a moderate-sized volume with the scenes I have witnessed on these marches, the countless thousands of all descriptions of wildfowl I have seen, and the bags I have made in the past 20-odd years. Among the varieties of ducks to be found here, in great numbers, is the far-famed and well-known canvasback. And here they attain the perfection of condition by feeding upon the wild celery, whether correctly named, and he gave the scientific name, which I'm not going to repeat here, uh, whether correctly named I cannot determine, he said. Quoting Moore, all the various kinds of ducks also feed upon this succulent root, and hence the quality for richness of flavor of the sussoon canvasback is well known and appreciated by those who are able to distinguish between these and the ducks coming from other portions of the state. By and by, the hunting on the Chamberlain track mentioned earlier became so famous and so many people came there to hunt with Beckwick and Payne that they built and fitted up an ark, in this case a yacht named Wavy. And for money consideration, they gave sportsmen the privilege of shooting there and eating there and staying on the wavy. They furnished accommodations, grubs, boats, decoys and acted as guides. It was in 1868 that Payne leased 5,000 acres on the west side of the Sussoon March from Oscar Lafayette Chamberlain and he went by the initials O.L. Chamberlain. He had a deed from the state showing the land was sold to him under the Tide and Land Act sometime in 1861. Chamberlain was a stockholder in the Central Pacific Railroad Company and part owner with Alvinza Hayward of the famous Eureka Gold Mine, where both accumulated a large fortune. Other than a small piece, 326 acres leased to brothers' initials W and L, so brothers W and L Pierce, for pasturing purposes, the two market hunters had the entire, or had the rest, had the leftover 5,000 acres, so the Chamberlain tract was actually 5,326 acres, but you'll, you'll hear mostly me mention 5,000 because that was the duck hunting part. The other part was used for, for pasturing purposes. And it, it, this 5,000 acres extended from Bridgeport on the north to Cordelia Slough at its outlet on the south and from Sussoon Creek proper on the east, and that's what separated the west part of Sussoon Marsh from the east part of the march so extended from Sussoon Creek proper on the east to the string ponds on the west, the famous string ponds. It was the first leasing of land for duck shooting in the state. Under the Act, the U.S. government granted to the state in 1861 all the lands which were covered and uncovered by the ebb and flow of the tide, and which were bare at low tide, whereupon the state sold the 5,326 acres of the Susan March to Chamberlain. And actually, as I said, only five thousand acres was really march land, which is a lot. Chamberlain died in eight in San Francisco, july the twenty fourth, eighteen seventy, with a sizable estate, including the five thousand three hundred and twenty six acres. The Wills executors were two of his brothers, Harlem and Alonzo. Oscar Chamberlain had three children, all born at Sutter's Creek, Amador County, California. Emily, a daughter, Frederick Oscar, a son, and Mary, a daughter. The place soon became so famous with so many sportsmen coming to hunt with Beckwith and Payne that a railroad was under consideration beginning in 1876 to accommodate the hunters while Payne and Beckwith was given the monikers of Father of the Sussoon March. 1878 was a banner year for ducks and geese. The newspaper the Santa Barbara Daily Press reported February the 12th that wild ducks are doing a great deal of damage to crops in the upper end of Sonoma County. Duck hunting is now splendid sport around Sussoon as were white geese who had in vast numbers taken possession of Grand Island up north in the Sacramento River area and were feeding upon the volunteer growth of barley and then flying to the Sussoon March. The farmers were using scarecrow to keep the waterfowl off the fields as they were being eaten out of house and home. In 1788 the Southern Pacific Railroad began construction on the Sussoon March Railroad, beginning at Fairfield and was finished the following year, ending at the town of Benicia, which fronted on the Sussoon Bay and offered a quicker and easier access to the western part of the Sussoon March while connecting the Montezuma, Goodyear, and Cordelia Sloughs. So you can see all throughout this Sussoon March that these sloughs were running through there and they divided up in different areas of marshes and stuff. The railroad track traversed 14 miles of the marsh. The Chamberlain estate offered to sell to the railroad company the entire Chamberlain track for 75 cents per acre, which they declined. Once completed in 1879, the Harlan Club organized in the Sussoon Marsh. It was the first duck hunting club established in California. The waters of the Cordelia Slough fed its five ponds. In the summer of 1880, the club split into two groups after one group decided to rent on the leased land was too much. A few of the Hardland Club members stayed put with Dr. Charles Tolan taking over the Hardland Club's lease, April of 1881, and renaming the club the Canvasback Club. This club was then taken over by another group and became officially known as the Abbas Gun Club in 1882. The other band of six members of the club in 1881 shared hunting grounds on Payne's and Beckwith's leased lands known for a string of puns on what would become the Cordelia Shooting Club. In 1878, the youngest heir in the Chamberlain estate became of age. Thereafter, the heirs planned to subdivide the 5,000 acres and rent different portions to clubs. However, the California Advertiser newspaper for their August 16, 1879 issue reported that Payne and Beckwith had renewed their Chamberlain lease with Chamberlain's widow for the 5,000 acres, and it was they who began subleasing part of their 5,000-acre lease. They posted to the land immediately, warning all trespassers against shooting and that they intended to enforce their rights. They continued to entertain sportsmen on the reserve for pay. In 1876, Hal McAllister shot with Payne and Beckwith. In November of 1879, John K. Orr, with both Payne and Beckwith, shot 139 ducks in three hours. Payne and Beckwith weren't the only market hunters in 1879 that were successful. Walter Welch recorded how he and his partner made the trip in 1879, equipped with six vessels, a 42-foot scow sloop, two tule splitters, and a tule splitter I should have mentioned is a narrow, double-bowed boat, ideally suited to pole through flooded tule grasses, which are very thick in that area. They also had two skull boats and a small, fast sailboat to take the ducks back to San Francisco. In addition, they carried 300 decoys, a 90-day supply of food, and an arsenal of guns and ammunition. On an average day, Welch and his partner shot 100 to 200 ducks each, with a season for them lasting from September through November. In 1882, the Cordelia Shooting Club was organized with 10 members, leasing 44,800 acres on the east side of the marsh, with 15 ponds from Payne and Beckwith. The San Francisco Chronicles recorded April the 1st, 1882, under the headlines, Organization of Another New Duck Club. A number of San Francisco sportsmen recently formed a new organization to be known as the Cordelia Duck Shooting Club. The ponds are located in the Sussoon Marshes in proximity to Till Station and are known as the String of Ponds. It is proposed to hire the yacht Lolita next season and Captain Chittenden will sell her. The club's property, subleased from Payne and Beckwith, was west of Till Station. The Frank Horan Slough traversed the club's lands, while the Cordelia Slough, both deep enough for yachts, was west boundary of the club. Their first clubhouse was the Yacht Lolita, owned by Captain Charles Crittenden as mentioned. He was better known as Cap, who also became their caretaker and game warden. The Lolita was moored at Till Station where Payne kept his sloop, the Wavy. During the season, they housed over the Lolita, and by housed over means they, they uh, built over it, from stem to stern with redwood, thus transforming the fast little craft into a perfect clubhouse, which many felt looked like Noah's Ark. The club's ponds were known locally as the String of Ponds, which were baited twice a week during the season. On one of the ponds in December 1883, five members shot 195 ducks, Three Canada geese and one swan in one morning. That same year in February, two members shot a hundred ducks, which included twelve canvasbacks. And these were mostly not deep water ponds where the, the uh, sago pondweed and the tubers grew. They were more mostly shallow ponds in freshwater. Continuing on, a Cordelia Club member remarked in the Recreation Magazine, March 1889, quoting: "I have shot ducks on the Susun March, forty miles from San Francisco." a track of about 5,000 acres since 1875, and every year of the 23 with hardly an intermission. So he shot for 23 years without a break during the hunting season. In 1875, market hunters were then getting pretty thick on the marsh and the game commenced to disappear. In 1882, four clubs, which I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, had been formed, taking lease of the entire Chamberlain track and the game and grounds were carefully protected and birds, birds, I mean ducks and geese, had increased. In 1881, the Till Shooting Club, also known as the Till Club, presided over by G. Frank Smith of San Francisco, worked out a deal with Payne and Beckwith, whereby they could organize a duck club on part of their 5,000-acre lease. So Payne and Beckwith leased a parcel to the club for $2,000, which was good for four years, which would carry them into 1885. They also sold to the club their ark, duck boats and decoys. The club set up shop where the railroad crossed Cordelia Creek in the Frank Horan Slough. Here, the railroad established a flag stop called Till, and here Payne and the club kept wavy their tule splitters and skull boats. They had what was known as the famous Payne Ponds, which were Payne's and Beckwith's Beck shooting places for the market. They were considered some of the best ponds because they were shallow and consisted of fresh water and not salty. That was until the club dug a ditch from the railroad track to the ponds, which, during a great deal of salt water, found its ways into them during the winter, during high water. While in the summer they became fresh again because they became dry, which caused a good stock of feed to be assured for the shooting season. Payne, the manager of the Till Shooting Club Preserve of four thousand acres, was paid a hundred dollars a month. The club also had two other employees to clean guns, take care of boats, roll the members out to the blinds, and do chores generally. They also had a Chinese cook named James and a Japanese steward. In a jockler mood one day at the clubhouse, when asked about some of his legendary kills, Payne hesitantly said, I killed 196 geese in the early days with two barrels. With two barrels, I killed 700 snipes. A long log was kept for the first time for the night for the 1882-1883 duck season for the Teal Club. A total of 4444 ducks were killed. Of that 1131 were pintails, 1031 were teal. 827 were canvasbacks, 512 were Snow Geese, 511 were Widgeons, 192 were Spoonbills, 95 were Bluebills, 92 were Mallards, 26 Yadwalls, and 1 Curlew. Mallards at that time were selling in the San Francisco market for $2.50 per dozen. Teal, $1.00. brigtails or Pentails caught $1.25 a dozen. Widgeons, $1.00. Canvas backs, $3.25, so you can see what was the highest price with the with the very Epicurean canvas bag. The biggest authenticatic bag of the season for 1883 and 84 was that of one member who brought in 142 ducks from a single day's work while hunting that morning with four others. It was a day of heavy winds on the bay which kept the ducks off of the bay and in the marches. So the members' bags bags consisted of 72 canvas backs, that's the member who, uh, who shot 140, so his bag consisted of 72 canvasbacks, 52 sprigs, 6 gadwalls, 8 tills, and 4 bluebills. In total, the five hunters brought to the clubhouse 402 ducks for one morning's hunt. The results of the season's shoot by the club was 4,089 ducks during the 1883-84 season. During February 1884, for one day, four members killed 500 ducks. On July the 22nd, 1885, the club signed a nine-year lease with Payne. When the lease was signed, Payne left his employment and went to the Petaluma Marshes, that was to the west of Sussoon March, where he resumed marking hunting and was never heard from again, and from that point forward, he used the wavy as a shooting and housing arc. The Till club obtained two additional arcs, one 36 by 16 foot and the other a scow sloop 36 by 14. The club hired carpenters to build extra rooms onto their ark, plus constructed a shed and a chicken house. In 1886, the club dug the bed for its ark, which I mentioned, which would be their clubhouse and hauled them up and high and dry. Carpenters worked for some time in installing extra rooms in the arks. These improvements were done in order to keep up with the Thule Bell Club. That same year, the Teal Club and the Cordelia Club began fighting between themselves over a certain pond in the Sussoon March, but they were able to avert an impending resort to arms. It was in 1882 that the Till Club closed Till Station to all-siders, which did not sit well with the spokesmen of the area and the poachers, as they all both soon became a problem, starting in 1883, when the poachers stole the club's decoys and boats The conflicts got much worse from 1893 to 1896. Between those years, the legality and propriety of the private club leases were challenged and poachers and club fought it out in the marsh and courts. Once the conflicts between duck clubs with hunting leases and local poachers and San Francisco sportsmen were finally resolved, new clubs formed to accommodate more hunters in the march. During February of 1884, four members killed 500 ducks That same year, the club had a telephone installed. In 1887, two members, Edwin Goodall and Mr. Gerber of Sacramento, shot 235 ducks from the same blind at the Till Club in a forenoon. Goodall, on another day, shot 205 birds, and on a different day the year, Goodall shot 166, while on the same day, two other members brought in 160 and 103 ducks. Other big bags were recorded by five members who shot 402 ducks that were retrieved and many that weren't. The till club's territory was about 3,000 acres and had in all six shooting ponds, all within each easy access, which averaged from one to five feet in depth. The main sloughs wound in and out like rivers through the tule-covered march, and from these streams, ditches were dug to the ponds. At the slough, the hunter was transferred from the skull boats with decoys and guns into tule-splitter, which was sculled through the ditch, through the ponds to his blind, which was either floating or located on a favorite point. The biggest record at till was 240 birds in one day for one gun and there were many running from 120 to 170, made between sunrise and sunset, which by club rules was the stated shooting period. In 1882, the Ibis Club organized and took over the land of the canvasback club, which I mentioned earlier, which was originally the hardland club. The waters of Cordelia Slough served to feed their five ponds, which were excellent for duck shooting the Tule Bell Club was across the Cordelia Slough south and east of the Ivis Club. The Ivis Club had deep water ponds three to four feet, four feet deep, which was conducive to canvasback shooting, whereas the Tule Bell had shallow ponds one to two feet deep. As I mentioned, therefore the Ivis Club shot a lot more canvasbacks. These deep ponds were formed when geese-now listen to this-and this was true in Louisiana on the Gulf Coast. So these ponds on the Sussoon Bay were formed when geese, which were in great numbers, ate out the tulies so effectively that ponds, often of considerable extent, were formed and sago pondweed thrived. And sago pondweed had a tuber that was just below the surface of the ground when water above that the canvasbacks loved to dig dig up and eat, and as did the geese. James Moffat, in 1938 gave details on species-specific waterfowl feeding activities that created and then deepened the ponds. So he's going to go through this, how they got deep, the ponds got uh, established. He said that originally the lesser snow geese made the ponds on this marsh by tearing up clumps of plants to secure its bulbs for food from the sago pondweed. Then the whistling swans working in the area opened up by the geese, deepened the ponds to three feet or more by tilting up the bulbs, like surface feeding ducks do and did, and reaching down with their long necks, that was until the ponds got too deep. Continuing, Moffat said, plant growth of which sago pondweed is by far the most important one locally became established with ponds with proper condition of salinity and required depth which was eighteen inches or more were created. Sago Pondweed, an excellent food plant, attracted auto, also surface feeding ducks, notably pentails, until the ponds were deepened so much that the growth was no longer within reach of the surface feeders like pentails and mallards. The ponds then became attractive to diving ducks, of which the canvasback was the only common one in the region. Canvasbacks in their feeding operations further deepened the ponds, and that's in the Moffitt's statement. It was reported in the Breeder and Sportsman's Issue of January 1885 that the gentlemen who shoot over the hardland ponds recently killed so many canvasbacks in one day that it took two boats to carry the birds. Remember here that the Harland club ponds were now leased by the Ibis Club. In 1885, the Tule Bell Shooting Club moved its headquarters to the Sussoon March. It was not a part of the tramlin track, it was just south of it, Several San Francisco sportsmen in 1885 negotiated for and took over the Jabez and Agnes Thickboom Ranch west of the Drawbridge Railroad Stop, later renamed the Cygnus, and formed the Thule Bell Club in the Sussoon March, just south of the Chamberlain tract. It was west of the Drawbridge Railroad Stop, later renamed Cygnus, and all it consisted of 1,500 acres all-fenced. The property was originally owned by Andrew Goodyear, who attained it by land grant in 1879. The land was just to the south, as I mentioned, to the, of the Chamberlain track. Goodyear, in turn, rented and later sold some of this land to the Thickrooms, who later leased 400 acres in 1885 to, to the Bell Club, their ten members. The ten members varied in different years. In 1886 1887, there was a dozen members, and during later seasons, members' numbers ranged from four to ten. There were nine shooting ponds scattered about. The Tule Bell Club, before locating on the Thickburn Ranch, was situated in and then named informally for the town of Belmont near San Mateo, which was in the South San Francisco Bay Area. At this time, the Belmont Club had a yacht named the Tule Bell. It was considered the luxurious yacht that ever sailed the San Francisco Bay and adjoining bays. It was sometimes used for duck hunting, for sleeping and feeding the and, uh, the horsemen. In the early 1870s, a hunting ark, a houseboat, was built for hunting purposes. It was moored at Belmont on the western side of the South Bay of the San Francisco Bay. However, due to residue residue from the Sierra mines, which began silting up their wetlands, the owners moved their hunting ark and equipment to the Sussoon March on the Thickbroom Ranch in February 1885, by towing up the San Francisco Bay and through San Pablo Bay and Sussoon Bay to Sherman Island, where the yacht was left to serve as a hunter's rendezvous for the winter. She was the first of her kind. Here the club was renamed for the Ark the Tule Bell, which functioned as a clubhouse and headquarters. The main organizer of this club was Commodore R.L. Ogden. In 1886 Thick Broom, fell on difficult times, so Goodyear had to take the property back, which he sold to one of the club members in May 1886. That member later sold the property to another member, Charles Jocelyn, in 1889, acting for the Thule Bell Club. Before the club leased the ranch and organized the club, Thickbroom and his hired men used to beat 10 pans in an effort to save some of his crop from damage from ducks. He also told the three men who brought in 380 sprigs or pintails until after one morning of shooting from 6 to 11.30 a.m. on his farm and ranch. They studied the club's kill records together with those made at Sherman Island, which was their previous uh, place where they hunted before moving to the Susun March, showed that the club did wisely in moving. Sherman Island was located in the delta where the San Joaquin and Sacramento Rivers met, east of Susun Bay. About 1880, immediately after the levees about Sherman Island broke, that island afforded shooting as good, perhaps, as any ground in the state. Several morning shoots resulted in large bags of over 200 birds each a member named Cooper, shot 213 widgeons in one afternoon. Crittenden Robinson brought in 208 birds one day, and others, like bags, were so often made as to convince one that at the time mentioned Sherman Island was as good as any shooting ground in California. But for several years, the shooting had not been up to par. The feed on the island had been scant and poor, owing owing to the killing influence of the river mud deposited from the ever-inflowing flood Of mining silt brought down by the Sacramento River. So it's coming from the gold and mining uh, places. Their ponds were still beautiful and convenient, but the waterfowl deserted them, and that's the reason they moved northward to the Sousone March. The Tule Bell Club had 10 members and was considered the wealthiest in the state. Their clubhouse was located west of the railroad track near the drawbridge, which was later named the Cygnus. At this time in the 1880s, there were four clubs on the west side of the Sussoon March, which I mentioned once again at the beginning of this thing. The Till Club, Cordelia Club, Ibis Club, and the Tule Bell, which essentially the four taking up the entire west side, the first three being part of the Chamberlain track. The total kill of 20,844 ducks on the Tule Bell Club between 1885 and 1901 and 36,126 ducks at the Ibis Club between 1882 and 1907 added to the kill of the Cordelia Shooting Club of 64,872 ducks killed between 1883 and 1904. So the three total of 121,842 ducks killed on the marshes of the Cordean Shooting Club, the Tulevale Club, and the Ivis Club. A tabulation of the kill of all three clubs gives the following. Spriggs represented 36,021, which was 30% of the total of the 64,872. Wiggins 23,762, 20%. Till, 21,925, 18%. Canvasbacks, 18,568, 15%. Mallard's 5%, I'm sorry, 5,000, and represented 4%. Other Ducks, 16,651, which represented 13.6%. However, for the season of eighteen eighty-five, eighteen eighty-six, Spoonvilles took the lead with a total of 540. Till were next on the list, numbering 427. Wigeons, 372. Sprigs, 257. Canvasbacks, 164. Curlews, 147. Mallards, 106. Butterballs, 89. English Knights 75. Gadwalls, 37. And Redheads, 7. And you notice Redhead is a diver duck like the canvasback, but there wasn't many at this during this time anyway in the area. It was mostly canvasbacks for the diving ducks. The Tule Bell was perhaps the first club to have a Chesapeake Retriever. The San Francisco Call reported September the 29th, 1897, Herman Ulrich has brought to this city a duck dog known as a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. This acquisition to K-9 Society arrived yesterday from Baltimore and is kettled at Bridges Stables on Post Street in San Francisco. The dog will have a chance to display his qualities as a retriever in shooting at the Tule Bell Club. And you'll hear more about Ulrich in just a minute. Starting in 1882, the Kill, till club began baiting their ponds with wheat, which was scattered about on the surface where it sunk in the shoal waters. Just before the season started, a yacht brought the boats, decoys, etc., along with a ton and a half of wheat. The other clubs soon started baiting their ponds. Clubhouses on the Susoon Marshes were floating arcs, or floating houses, which were admirably appointed and excepting in size of the rooms quite as comfortable as the quarters afforded by the city's clubmen's houses. Indeed, arch living was the most popular choice of living on the Sussoon March. The march was practically all preempted by various gun clubs, whose clubhouses and shooting boxes dotted the vicinity. So active were these clubs that the railroad had side stations at most of them, many of these stations being named after ducks such as Till, Mallard's, Jacksonite, and so on. Many of the duck ponds were baited, but nevertheless a great number were not. The baited ponds, however, had the best of it. When shooting was good, ducks could be found almost anywhere from the upper Sacramento Valley, which was north of Sussoon March, all the way down to the lower stretches of San Francisco Bay and its escaduaries. The duck country of the Sacramento Valley was composed of the Yolo, Souter, Glen, Calusa, and Butte Counties with the latter being probably the best duck hunting in the country nowadays. In the San Joaquin Valley, which was south of uh, Sacramento Bay and the Delta, in the southern part of the Central Valley, there were Los Baños, Westside, Gustine, Newman, and other duck hunting centers. It was only a matter of time before more clubs organized. The Sussoon Gun Club organized in 1897. It had 17 members in 1902, four of whom were from San Francisco. The others were local sports. The Pringle Gun Club, locally owned, was organized in 1900 after a disgruntled group of members broke off from the Sussoon Gun Club, and this was sort of in the north part of the Susun March. After only one hunting season, the club with its famous Pringle Ponds lost their lease to a group of seven San Francisco sports. The Republican newspaper reported these ponds have been under the control of Sussoon sportsmen for the last 40 years and this deal closes all available hunting grounds to local hunters. The Phil and Thule Club was situated in the northern part of the Sussoon March, about three quarters of a mile from Cordelia and nearly 50 miles from San Francisco their arc was well equipped and when water was low it was approachable by road at other times the members employed small boats it was organized about 1900 or 1901 their 10-year lease covered 750 acres of the great susoon marsh and their president at its inception was a m shield on the old goodyear tooley marshland in 1901 two tooley bell shooting club members were Joe Harvey and Herman Oldrich, which I mentioned just a minute ago. Oldrich's fathers was a member of the Marshy Point Duggan Club on Chesapeake Bay in the 1850s. In 1902, the club was sold to Oldrich, who was married to multimillionaire Teresa Fair, sister of Charles Fair, which you'll hear about a little later on, it was the first club to buy their lease grounds and as mentioned, it was not part of the Chamberlain track. Old Rich was also a member of the Till Club and was a multimillionaire. millionaire After purchasing the Tule Bell Club in 1902, it became Ulrich's private preserve. He went about building a palatial clubhouse at Cygnus Station and it was given the moniker Cygnus Ranch. In 1905, Ultras, Old Rich, and three guests shot 200 ducks before 9 a.m. After Ulrich died in 1906, the club was sold to Edward Harriman in 1907, the Southern Pacific Railroad president, for $40,000. While the title was being perfected and Mrs. Ulrich was contesting her husband's will, Harriman died in 1909 and his estate asked to be freed from the purchase, which it was. So, Old Rich's 1085 acres Cygnus Ranch, the old Tule Bell Club, actually still the Tule Bell Club, private preserve passed to Old Rich's 15-year-old son valued at $50,000 along with some guns. Afterwards, many prospective buyers attempted to purchase the property, but all offers were rejected until it was sold July 1910 to two sportsmen for $34,000. Between the death of Herman Ulrich and the time when it was sold in 1910, the marshes of the Cygnus Ranch degenerated into a market hunting domain. Among those who had the privilege of shooting over the splendid ponds on that track were individuals who shot for the market. The worst feature of it all was that night shooting was incessant on its marshes. This would all end when four, sports, four sportsmen bought the land and rejuvenated the Tule Bell Club in 1910. In 1900, Frederick, known as Freddie Chamberlain, one of the three grown children of the Chamberlain estate, leased for five years all of the Chamberlain tract to the Abbas Club. However, the leases with the Cordelia and Till Clubs were to continue until their leases expired in nineteen o seven. Many proposals to buy it in fractions had been rejected by the estate. The three heirs refused to sell it except as a whole, proposing in case it was not speedily deposed of to drain and reclaim the entire tract for agricultural purposes which had been attempted over in the next county of Sonoma. During this time, other clubs were established on the march. The Beatville Shooting Club near Cordelia in 1901. Clubs Armahillo, Montezuma, King and Oakland in 1903. The Belvedere, later renamed the Volante and Cotati in 1904, and the Harvey, Big Four, Redhead, and Badgers in 1905. By 1908, there were the Marsh Club and the Mara Gun Club, and in 1909, a Leaf Club near Cordelia. In 1902, Frank Massey, Edward Dinklesville, who was the editor of the Solano Republican and a well-known real estate man, along with Joe Harvey, who was a gambler, turf man, ardent spokesman, a real estate speculator, and a political boss, and Frank Massey, an employee of Harvey, and Charles L. Fair, which I mentioned earlier, formed a syndicate. The syndicate was prepared if they could acquire all or nearly all of the Susun March lands to th- thoroughly reclaim them. The options to buy were conditional, conditional upon the their acceptance by enough owners and at any price not too unreasonable." Enough owners were not obtained, so this whole venture fell. However, that changed in 1905 when a newspaper reported that the game interest of our state as a very large pecuniary as well as a recreational value was demonstrated by the recent purchase at a variable, very considerable figure of a large tract of Sioux March by a syndicate of prominent sportsmen. This tract of land, as I mentioned minutes ago, Some 5,324 acres comprised some of the finest ducking marshes in the world and was leased to suiting clubs and individual sportsmen in small subdivisions, the leases in all cases being short-lived and uncertain. Many proposals to buy it in fractions had been rejected by the three heirs of the Oscar and Mary Chamberlains, with their only son Freddie overseeing the Chamberlain track, and he had the administrator, who was Oscar's brother, of the estate. So, the administrator, uh, Oscar's brother, was the administrator of the estate, and he refused to sell it in parcels while proposing, in case it was not speedily disposed of, to drain and reclaim the entire tract for agricultural use. This land, when so reclaimed, would be predominantly rich, almost as good in that respect as it is for ducks in its present state, or was in its present state. And for a time, sportsmen were in a despair at the thought of this unwelcome prospect. They They were unable to buy portions of the track, and the figure asked for the whole was prohibited to all save the very, very wealthy. Another newspaper reported also in 1905, (coughs) quoting, the most important real estate transaction that has been made in Solano County in many years has been closed by Edward Nicholsville, editor of the Solano Republican and a well-known real estate man, representing a syndicate of influential men. The purchasers include Dinklesville of Sussoon, Charlie Fair, Frank Maskey, and Joseph Harvey of San Francisco. The track of marshland purchased consisted of about 5,000 acres, and the price paid is reported to have been about $120,000. So they didn't purchase the the 325 acres. Continuing on with the quote from the newspaper, the purchase comprises the famous Chamberlain track recognized as the finest duck shooting land in the state. For some time, the reclamation of marshland in Solano County has contracted considerable attention and the successful experiment made on a small scale will unquestionably form the pre- precursor to an extensive scheme of reclamation. The acquisition, therefore, of the Chamberlain Track will mean much for Solano County. The land on the other side of the railroad track and running for several miles along the Sussoon Slough is unexcelled marshland and has been pronounced by experienced men to be capable of producing crops of various kinds if reclaimed and put under cultivation. It is without doubt the finest asparagus land and if devoted to this industry, will yield the owners about $150 per acre, clear of expense." As just stated in 1905, the Chamberlain track in the Sussoon March was sold for $120,000 to, to the four just mentioned, except for the Till and Cordelia clubs, which had two years left on their lease. The Chamberlain track was then divided among the four, with the four selling different parcels to different clubs who had been leasing it, or to individual sportsmen. They, the four also kept parcels for themselves, which I'm going to bring up now. The four owners kept some good-sized tracts and some of the best parcels for themselves. Instead of reclaiming the land for farming purposes, the four owners knew they could make more money by leasing or selling parcels of the land to individual sportsmen or to duck, club or hunting, uh, duck hunting clubs, many of them who had been leasing. In the end, the syndicate made a profit of $75,000 by selling all of the parcels except for their private parcels. It so happened that the two of the four owners did not get a chance to fire a shot. Charlie Fair was killed July 7, 1907 in an automobile accident along with his wife in France. Joe Harvey died of pneumonia in September of the same year. Harvey was a former member of the Tule Bell Club. Before he died, Harvey selected the Ibis Club as one of his properties. He died of pneumonia August 9, 1907, after spending one week looking over his Ibis Club hunting preserves, which he had selected. After his death, Mrs. Harvey managed her husband's hunting property. She leased the Ibis Club acres to Judge W. L. F. Henshaw. In nineteen oh seven, John Seymour also leased some affairs in Harvey's duck hunting property, other than the Ivis Club, and Harvey was also a member of the Tule Bell Club. Maskeys reserved a choice piece for himself, so some three hundred and fifty acres, that portion taking in the Haywards and Sunrise Ponds. Fair and Harvey had hunted the Susan March for years, using Fair's steam yacht the Losero as their headquarters. It was said that Fair was a great duck hunter and delighted in shooting shotguns at ducks and geese. When Harvey received word of Charles and Caroline's death, he at the time was directing the completion of work being done on Fair's extensive duck land and clubhouse on Fair's $20,000 duck farm. Here in 1889, I'm sorry, 1899, Fair was using live decoys secured from a marker hunter at Los Banos. Harvey then took over Fair's Hunting Preserve in the Sussoon March, which would, in 1907, become the Seymour Gun Club. When their lease ran out in 1907, the Till Shooting Club was the first to buy about 1,500 acres of the Chamberlain Track. The last piece of the Chamberlain Track, 251 acres, was sold in 1909 to the Seymour Gun Club for $35 an acre. This was part of what Joseph Harvey and Charlie Fair jointly owned prior to their death. John Seymour and nine others first leased the 251 acres and then bought the land and formed the Seymour Club, a stretch of Marchland north of the Cordelia Club. After Harvey's death, several small clubs were leased or sold from the syndicate's holding. notably the Green Lodge at Cygnus Station, leased by William Bill W. Richards with its basin Ponds, a series of ponds nearly a mile in extent. Green Lodge was later sold by Dinklesville and his partners. It was adjoined the Tule Bell on the west of the railroad track, and here Richards whimsically called this club the limit because everyone got their limit of ducks. Other pieces of the Chamberlain track, 1,300 acres of first-class waterfowling ground, which was located halfway between Cygnus and Till stations on the east side of the railroad track, were deeded to the Roos Allegro Club, which consisted of 225 acres. It opened in 1907 south of Till Railroad Station after leasing the land from the Till Club in 1906 and buying the land in 1907 for Maskey, Harvey and Dicklesville. Their property under lease by the Till Club until 1907 encompassed the famous Whittier Ponds. Other pieces sold were the Jack Snipe Gun Club in 1907, two miles north of Till Station. The Ivys Club, the Fair and Harvey Club at the mouth of Cordelia Slough, which Captain John Seymour leased in nineteen o seven and bought in nineteen o ten or nineteen ten. The Sprig Till Club located north of the horseshoe shaped land of Green Lodge, but on the east side of and adjacent to the railroad track, while the De Novo Club was located north of the Green Lodge adjacent to the railroad track. After after the Cordelia Shooting Club's hunting lease expired in 1907, the club between the Cordelia and Frank Horan Slews came under the ownership of the syndicate headed by Frank Maskey. Maskey then sold it to Wickham Havens in 1908 while keeping part of the old Cordelia Club's land, which included the Sunrise Ponds. Havens then sold the old Cordelia Club grounds to Lewis Titus in 1910 who leased it to some of their old members and it became the Cordelia Gun Club. The six members of the old Cordelia Club turned around and signed a lease on the Freeborn and John Cook track after the Cook's Club lease had expired in 1907. This track was located west of the Cordelia Slough and across from the Cordelia Club's hunting grounds which were on the east side of the slough. They called their club the Freeborn Gun Club. The Till Club bought their land from the Sinket in 1907 when their lease expired. This marshland contained the old Payne Ponds, which were then labeled the Cordelia Ponds and the North and South Haywood Ponds. Maskey kept some of the till marshland on the North, including the Sunrise Pond and formed the Sunrise Club in 1909, which included some additional land about the Cladbourne Slough, some 280 acres in all. The till club still has its original clubhouse, at Till Station on 509 acres. The mainstay of the Till Clubhouse is one of Jim Payne's original arcs. The Ibis Club remains on its original, about 217 acres, west of Cygna Station. Unfortunately, some of the Sussoon March was reclaimed for farmland. From 1879 to 1930, with the arrival of railroads and levees constructions, which restrained tidal waters flow, much of the Sussoon March was converted to agriculture. The Sacramento Union, March 19, 1912, headlines read, Vast tracts of Sussoon Tully March added to acreage of productive soil this year. Patrick Calhoun and others also had six large gasoline tractors turning over Tully land for production of hay, wheat, and barley. However, once converted to farmland, its success was relatively short lived because of land subsiding and increasing soil salinity at least partially a result of upstream water diversion to irrigate farms in the Central Valley, which made agriculture unprofitable. Due to subsistence and levee failures, only about 5,000 acres out of 60,000 acres of reclaimed marshes proved to be a successful agricultural venture. Agricultural operations not being successful, much of this same land in 1921 was being sold to be used only as shooting grounds. Whereas agricultural land sold at $150 per acre, some of this same land was then selling for $80 per acre for use as waterfowl shooting grounds. At least 7,000 acres of land in 1921, formerly used for agricultural, was flooded and made attractive to ducks. 1921 saw about 10,000 acres more treated the same way. Flooding such lands made very attractive feeding grounds to ducks because of weed seeds. Pintails particularly were attracted to the shallow water afforded in these areas. Because of these operations, some changes occurred in the kinds and number of waterfowl. Whereas the original marshes were attracted to canvasbacks, mallards, widgeons, and teal, the flooded fields largely attracted pintails. Eventually, with the decline of agriculture in the 1930s, Nearly all reclaimed marshlands were purchased by the State of California Department of Fish and Game to be managed as waterfowl areas. Beginning in 1927, the State of California purchased 1,711 acres of the Marsh as state wildlife management areas, which it established in 1932 on the middle section of Joyce Island. This refuge had annually saved more ducks in the shooting season than all other conservation measures combined. Other state areas were purchased to each crop destruction by waterfowl in the Central Valley. Today, approximately 230 miles of levees in the Sussoon March protected approximately 55,000 acres of managed wetlands, which represents 10% of California's remaining natural wetlands and serves as the resting and feeding grounds for thousands of birds, ducks and geese, migrating on the Pacific Flyway. In addition, there are 6,300 acres of unmanaged tidal wetlands, 30,000 acres of bays and sloughs, and 27,000 acres of upland grasslands. Most diked wetlands are managed for waterfowling, while acreage devoted to glazing, grazing and agriculture is very small. The state manages about 15,000 acres of tidal wetlands, dike wetlands and upland grasslands. Fortunately for the Sussoon March, more than 80% of its original 74,000 acres exist today. A combination of factors, especially the efforts of duck hunting clubs, played and plays a role in the continued existence of this local treasure. Today, the Sussoon March represents the largest contiguous brackish water march on the west coast of North America and is a critical part of the San Francisco Bay-Sacramento San Joaquin River Delta estuary ecosystem. The Cordelia Club, with its 640 acres, can lay claim to being the oldest continuous name and the Till Club is having the oldest clubhouse still in use. More than 158 private duck clubs operate in the marsh today. Without hunting clubs, there would be most likely not be a susun march. That pretty much ends my discussion of the, the uh, this part of California, which is the Sussoon March, especially the Chamberlain track, 5,000 acres. Probably another, there's not another 5,000 acres in this country that would can match up to the Susoon March. Now, a lot of changes have occurred since I, this time when I just uh, gave you the podcast. It's not quite as good as it used to be, but it's still pretty dead good. And just let me say, when I started doing all this research to get the history of the United States, mainly started out with the, boot, the Mid-South, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, and the boot Hill, Missouri. I thought I might as well do the, uh, the whole in the United States since I'm going to be in all these courthouses, libraries, archives, et cetera. And I came, when I started to come across California, I was just um, overwhelmed by its past history and its present history. If there's one state that is really remarkable for its duck hunting today it is the California area, especially the Central Valley and the Klamath region, and even parts of Southern California. Uh, and I just want to say a good word about the California Waterfowl Association, too, in California. It is an excellent association. If you're, not, if you're not a member, and if you're not from California, consider joining that association because they are doing an excellent job in conserving their wetlands for our future and the children's future and our grandchildren's future. Let me close uh, this podcast, Episode 5, out by just saying don't miss an episode of Historic Waterfiling Stories as the old-timers give us their treasures and hidden riches of their history. And furthermore, if you get a chance, visit my... Uh, this this, transcri- this whole deal, text-wise, will be transcribed onto my uh, webpage, which is called waterfiling.net, waterfiling.net. And while you're there, visit my blog. I have many, many stories... And also, like I just said, have the I'll have this story on that uh, on my blog. And you can also see on, on my website the books that I've written up on the history of the United States and some old videos of 1921 and 1955 on there. So take a look at that. If you get a chance, um, do that. And stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to try to do these every Tuesday. So the next one will be next Tuesday. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Maybe I might do a contemporary one of, of me and my two sons and my dog, Jesse, and their dog, Jesse. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned next Tuesday and continue to follow me and review me and see tell me how I can improve this thing. Uh, and In the end, I sign off and say, God bless.